You are listening to the Propaganda Report. 30 minutes of news, 54 subscribers from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. I'm Brad Binkley here with my guest co-host, Cam Harless of the Mad Ones podcast. And I want to start by saying that obviously the show is going to evolve and change a little. Still going to be providing news on a daily basis, Monday through Thursday, sometimes on Fridays, and going to be doing all the, the same perks on Patreon, Rockfin, and Locals with probably a few fun stuff that I'm going to add in there as well. So none of that is going to change, but the exact direction of the evolution, I'm still playing around with in my head. So that will come forth in the future. Obviously, nobody can replace Monica. There would be no reason to try and replace Monica because she is a unique spark that can't be matched. So we have to go in a direction where we lean into the strengths that we have here. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to make it good. We're going to make it fun. We're going to make it informative and always going to seek the truth continually. That's what I've always tried to do. And I will continue to try and do that. And I thank everybody for listening. And I also want to say that I'm a bit distracted today. My dad had to be taken to the hospital yesterday and it, it, uh, it's a bit of a tough situation. So it's been a little bit hard for me to focus. I've been fielding phone calls all day from doctors and nurses and going back and forth to check on them. So I'm going to do my best to stay focused, but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that I am a bit scattered and that is the main reason why. And your prayers are appreciated. Okay. Be a fierce advocate, by the way, of anyone you know who is in a situation where they're in a hospital. That's one thing that I can say from uh, some experience that I have that I learned from my dad, really, that you have to be an advocate for your friends or your family who are in the hospital because people, even with the best intentions that work in hospitals, they have a lot that they're covering. They don't know the uniqueness of your family member or your friend and they're tired, they're overworked. So you have to be that advocate. And that can be a very, very scary thing. We lean on the authorities. We want them to to tell us it's going to be okay, to tell us what the next step should be. But don't be afraid to ask questions. Be an advocate if you're in that situation. Now we will get into the news of the day. Thank you, Cam, for being here, by the way. I see that you have a new haircut. Yep. <laughs> I, I sure do. And I, I explained it a little bit on our show last night, which we missed you on, by the way. People were sad. You'll have to make it up to them at some point. <laughs> I will definitely make it up to them for sure. <laughs> the big story that everyone is talking about today is the Biden administration's new disinformation governance board. The creation of this was revealed by Homeland Security Secretary Alexander Mohores yesterday during the testimony before the House Appropriations Subcommittee. Now, the board was created to coordinate the countering of myths and disinformation related to Homeland Security and its activities will be focused on stopping the spread of Russian disinformation ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. And when asked what the department was doing to prevent misinformation from skewing the 2022 midterm elections, he said, we have just established a disinformation governance board in the Department of Homeland Security to more effectively combat this threat, not only to the election, but to our homeland security. He did not discuss the actual powers they'd be granted specifically, but he did say that we are disseminating information to the secretaries of state. We are counseling them and providing resources to ensure better physical security. We are addressing all aspects of election security, given, of course, the midterm elections that are upon us and the fundamental integrity of our democratic process that is at stake. Now, this new board gets its power under a Biden era 
Center for Prevention Programs and Partnership. And that's what it, that's what it's based under. This means that the board can't directly take away your First Amendment rights, but it can combat disinformation by providing the secretaries of state, as he said, and local leaders around the country with the resources, the tools and the training and advice that they need to indoctrinate under the guise of preventing individuals from becoming radicalized. We actually talked about this on the show a few months back when they rolled this thing out. This is a whole society approach to indoctrinating the public. When they can't change the law or when the First Amendment or any constitutional amendment gets in the way, then they they then go to the local leaders and the communities and they give them money to deliver their messages from the mouths of those who are trusted. And there's been a lot of talk around the woman who was named director of this board, Nina Yankovic, not Yankovic, what weird out Yankovic, that's not who it is. I did not have a chance to listen to her name before I came in, so I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. However, it's rightfully that people have been talking about her. So what I'm going to do here in a minute, because I haven't heard anybody else do this, I'm going to play you some clips of her, of, of what she actually says, what she's been saying over the course of the past five or six years, because she goes and she testifies in front of the house all the time, various house committees. She is on various think tanks all the time. She's interviewed on a regular basis about the subject of disinformation. And I want you to hear what she says herself so that you can get a sense of her yourself and judge whether you think that she'll do a good job or not. And I'm certain that you've already heard all of the stuff about what she said about the Hunter Biden laptop, where she just dismissed it as a conspiracy. Basically, she supported the idea that it was a Russian disinformation campaign the Hunter Biden laptop story. And that right there tells you a whole lot. I don't want to harp on that too much because everybody's been talking about that all day. But of course, Joe Biden would put a woman who helped cover up the Hunter Biden laptop story by supporting the idea that it's Russian disinformation as the head of the disinformation group that he just established. He's not going to put somebody who's actually going to uncover disinformation there. So it makes perfect sense that she would go there. And you'll see in a second that she is a highly trained operative. And her background, before we play a couple of clips here, is she's an alleged information warfare expert, and she has advised the Ukrainian government on strategic communications. She's the author of How to Lose the Information War, Russia, Fake News, and the Future of Conflict. That's the subtitle of that book. And she was previously a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center. And I'm assuming that that means she's a fellow who spreads disinformation, because as we saw with all those tweets, nothing she says is really true. And it all falls in line with the mainstream media. I shouldn't say nothing because everybody says some things that are true sometimes and everybody (laughs) says some things that are false sometimes as well. But here is her talking about her big idea on how to fix the internet. The idea that I have is that foreign disinformation and domestic disinformation need to be treated the same way. It's been four years since Russia interfered in the 2016 election. And since then, our information environment has only become more polluted. We've done very little to stop Russia. And now we've got China, Iran, Venezuela also playing the game, not to mention fringe media on on both sides of the political spectrum that are using the very same tactics that our foreign adversaries use in order to affect the information environment. And on top of that, of course, we've got the political disinformation coming from uh, our elected officials, including the president himself. And over the past couple of months throughout 2020, but especially during the coronavirus crisis, um, 
we've been slammed with disinformation about not only COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter protests, but more recently, fire, forest fires, mail-in voting. And I think what the point that I try to make in my book is that this isn't a new problem. Um, a lot of countries have been dealing with this and, and actively trying to, you know, um, reverse the degradation of the democratic information environment for over a decade. And their experience says that it takes all of us, not just government, not just the social media platforms, not just, you know, the media, media ecosystem. It takes all of us to reverse that. Um, and so one of the main points that I make and something that I really didn't even think was going to come out when I started out researching this book about Russian information warfare is that if we have governments that claim to fight disinformation originating outside of our borders, we cannot fight them and, and effectively do so when we are, you know, purveying, we are our own purveyors of disinformation. And again, that comes back to my big idea. We we need to treat these two things the same way. Okay, so a while back when Biden rolled out his strategy for countering domestic terrorism, one of the things that we talked about a lot on the show was that it seems like they want to treat domestic, quote, terrorist actors the same way that they treat foreign terrorists and actors, basically stripping away their rights so that they can do anything to them, detain them indefinitely, whatever. That seems like the same sentiment that she's getting at here with treating domestic disinformation the same way as they treat foreign disinformation. There was a Council on Foreign Relations panel discussion that we deconstructed, I think it was in the last Rockfin video, where they talked about how one of the obstacles to stopping Russian disinformation in America was the fact that Americans themselves were spreading it, according to them. And the First Amendment got in their way. They said they could easily stop the ones coming from Russian outlets like RT. They can ban them because it's Russian backed. But they said the problem was when Americans start saying the same things Russians were saying, then we have to work around that you know, that First Amendment. And that is the same thing that she's, she seems to be saying. She wants to be able to not have that First Amendment as an obstacle. And she wants to go directly to when you think about what that strategy is for that board, that disinformation board, they're going to be going directly to communities. And as she said, a whole of society approach because they can't directly cut off your First Amendment rights. What they can do is they can go to all the influential leaders around you. They can fund them. They can train them in how to talk to you. They can train them in, quote, media literacy. And then they can indoctrinate the young people and the young voters and the old voters into seeing things their way so that when people see questions about the 2020 election, the legitimacy of it, when people see questions about the vaccine or questions about masks, the first thing that pops into their head is Russian disinformation. They're demonizing information, not just the people. So when you demonize the information, you can just say, well, that thing that doesn't fit with our agenda clearly came from Russia. So anybody saying that, even if they're not intentionally doing it, is spreading Russian disinformation. So therefore, they or the information that they're spreading must be stopped. She's very good at what she does. And I think that she, she is. She's very well-spoken. She's, she's slick. You're going to see this in a couple of other clips too. Cam, I've been motor mouth so far. What are your reactions <laughs> to her? Well, and, and the, the idea that you're talking about of demonizing information is fascinating to me because they've been trying to push the Russian disinformation stuff since 20, 2016, since Trump was you know running for office and got in office and it's it's fascinating because it actually makes me think of 
I don't know which leak it was. I want to say it was probably the Snowden leaks or the Assange leaks. There were there was one set of leaks, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which is which, um, that they were fine with. Oh, that's what it was. They were fine with the leaks that that Snowden had because it it showed how bad the things were going with the the NSA and all of that. But the leaks from uh, Hillary Clinton's camp and the Podesta emails and all of that, it was like, oh, we're we're fine with what Julian Assange did as long as it goes along with our conscience with what we say we believe in yeah. but the moment it's turned on podesta and our democratic allies they they stole this obviously right. we can't share this information and so they demonize the information rather than demonizing uh, it's it's a very good point there's a question in an uh, old video of hers the subject of the video is the question do all democracies engage in disinformation campaigns and that that's for the xr but that is very much in line with what you're saying here, the hypocrisy and the way yeah. that they present this information and talk about it. All right. Here's another clip from her where she gives some of the ways to remedy this problem that she says that we have. And this is exactly what she's going to be doing with this disinformation board. I mean, this stuff okay. is I mean, this stuff is from like three years ago, too. So they, they <laughs> tapped her a while ago. They found a, a nice of looking boring white like woman. like media literacy, digital literacy that they're investing in, but it's not just at the, the school level. Often we think about K through 12 programs. I want us to focus on voting age populations now. If you look at the polling, the folks who need help navigating today's information environment are actually older people who are used to having content curated for them to a certain degree. So how do we reach those people? Professional development programs are, are one way. I think social media platforms have a role to play. And so far they've they've been pretty tepid about that role. Um, and also public libraries are a great vector to deliver this sort of training. Uh, they're still highly trusted in society. Public institutions that we have left, and that's something um, that we've seen used in places like Ukraine to great effect. But we also need to invest in public media. I think if you look at the resilient societies in other places in the world, especially places like Finland, Sweden, they've all got a really robust public media ecosystem that you know, is not only trusted, but fills the information void. Um, a lot of what we're seeing, especially during this election cycle, both from uh, foreign and domestic disinformers, is the fake local news website that is meant to fill that informational void and that lens, the local news lens for many people. So we've got to really be pumping money into the public media ecosystem to fill up those news deserts. I think that's critical. And that is really, really eye-opening to me. She's openly saying we need to put all this government money into these local news organizations, into local media, into libraries, because that's where the trusted sources are. They don't trust us. They don't trust Fauci. They don't trust Biden, but they trust the sweet librarian. They trust the yeah. what you know, this is getting to those local influencers that are close to people. And they've done all these studies where they find the most influential people in certain communities. And these are the ones that they target with this. And this is backdoor we talk about backdoor fascism these it's not necessarily corporations in, in some instances it is going to be businesses but this is just that work around the constitution you, you, instead of imposing it you just go and manipulate the people that have the most influence and that are the most trusted because we are void of trust what is a fake local news web page i'm not certain what she's referring to here it could be a couple of things it could be 
that there have been fake news pages that popped up. I know during the 2016 election, that was a big thing where people were mirroring news sites, make it look exactly like a, a ABC or something, but then it's not. So it ends up being fake. Yeah. It could be that or it could be some training program because she's huge into media literacy and which you'll hear in the XR clips. And it could be something like that where they're training people to identify what is real and what is not because she's involved in a lot of studies where they get a bunch of participants to come in and they show them information that is they say is real versus information they say is not. And then they evaluate ways to get people to evaluate information and then stop and think. But it's real. It's insidious because it's only to think in a way that they direct them to. So right. they give them stories and they'll say, here is a story about this. There's a story about that. And then they'll go to them and say, did you know that story A was false and story B was true? And, and story B is like, you know, Donald Trump colluded with Russia and peed on a bed in Russia because he hates Obama. <laughs> so it's stuff like that. And yeah. so that it's an insidious way of training people. And it makes me think of this narrative warfare stuff. I've been talking a lot about that this week. And one of the things they said was about trusted leaders. The gist of it is they don't trust authority figures. They don't trust people in uniform anymore. They don't trust people in a suit behind a podium at the White House, who they trust are the people that look like them, are the people that sound like them, are the people who they believe share their identity. So really what they're saying in the narrative warfare is we need to get people who look like them. So not necessarily people right. who are from where they're from. So Stacey Abrams of the world. And it's yeah. just so clear in this narrative warfare literature that they pick people out and they say, we can mold you to be the person that this group identifies with and put our messages in your mouth because they will trust you. And she's saying the same thing here. I just find it interesting, this call for that the, the speaking of localities and libraries is in, you know, uh, public media and leaning towards the, the government media. I find it so fascinating that they're, they're calling with, I don't understand the, the background of this. You said there may be these different options, but she says fake local news web pages. And so she's calling into question localities and saying that they can fix this problem by having boomer day camps where the, your old, your old people can come in and learn what's true and what's false at their local library. Or it's just, it's a, it's yeah. bizarre and on the nose. And I'm, and, yeah. and then she mentions it worked well in Ukraine, which makes me just, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the first thing that popped in my head was elder abuse when she said that about yeah. old people is, is we need to go to them and we need to tell them what to think, how to think, who to trust, right. who not to trust. It is very insidious. So that that's all I'm going to play for Brian the, Stetler. Yeah, Brian Stelter. Definitely trust him. That guy is just the worst and he's got to be the worst on purpose. I just I've thought about that for a while because I've been I made like some satire videos of him, fake interviews of him four or five years ago. So I've been watching his show on and off for a while. And I just can't think of any other explanation than his job is to agitate and to provoke people because I just, there's no way that he's serious. He named his kid story. Did you know that? <laughs> well, it's like, it's like uh, John McCain's daughter, Megan named uh, their daughter Liberty. Oh my gosh. What, that's embarrassing. <laughs> it's the same sorry, thing. Yeah. <laughs> N narrative narrative propaganda naming your children it's it's amazing it is bad that you're using your kid's name as a as a channel of propaganda okay so in that same vein 
there's a group of investigative journalists and fact checkers who others might say are straight up propagandists called Bellingcat. Are you familiar with them? I'm not. Bellingcat puts out a lot of investigative work that always supports the propaganda narrative. And today they put an article out that is titled Russia's QAnon followers can't make up their minds about Ukraine. And the article opens up by detailing a post that showed up on a Russian telegram channel shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine in February. And the post said this, dear God, save Russia and Ukraine. We are blessing each other. Please forgive us for our sins. And below a photo was added of two people with their arms around one another. One wore a Russian jacket while the other was wearing the colors of the Ukraine flag. And the accompanying caption read, this is how it's supposed to be. They then revealed that the, in their words, this is what they said anyway, incredibly, these posts came not from Russian opposition activists, but from a subsection of Russian language QAnon channels on Telegram. And then they expanded it out. We talked about this months back, about how they were making QAnon the new global Nazi. This is where this is going, I think. They started talking about the problem of QAnon worldwide. And they said that QAnon worldwide is talking about how the invasion of Ukraine by Russia was an effort to take down the international cabal. And they say that different ideas on the war, on the, the war's goals, they say whether it could be that is to destroy the bio labs in Ukraine, or it could be COVID-like disease they created, or that it's about preventing the Great Reset, which supposedly seeks to use the pandemic to destroy capitalism and install a one-world government. So all of the things, many of the things they're actually doing This is what they're saying that global QAnon is organizing around and spreading worldwide. And they're calling this a problem. Now, obviously, the Great Reset is seeking to use the pandemic to change the way that the market and the economy and everything else works. There's no doubt about that. But they act like that is an insidious conspiracy theory being propagated by these crazy people around the world. And the article goes on to talk about how all of these QAnon supporters around the world make it out, make Russia out to be an ally in this fight and that the invasion is a war against evil and it's for all good. And that most of these global QAnon supporters, they have long seen Putin as a hero fighting side by side with Trump, trying to fight for the children to get rid of the pedophiles. It's just interesting to me because I really anticipated this was coming. If you can link Trump to Putin and Trump supporters to the the demon, because Hillary Clinton years ago created that bucket of deplorables, and they've been adding to it ever since. If you don't wear a mask, if you if you question the vaccine, if you question the 2020 election, you're thrown into that bucket. And so they one by one just kind of start describing QAnon as those things. And now they're spreading. There's protest in France. There's protest around the country. And all of a sudden, this disillusioned conspiracy theorists that they have described there's a pandemic of them and they need to be stopped they need to be stamped out like the nazis and i think that even though there are literal nazis fighting this war in ukraine on the side of ukraine not all of them but there are some even the mainstream media admits this they're trying to turn people who you know didn't want to get the booster shot into a global nazi and it's and it's over and it was really started over that wholesome freaking post that you described, right? Because I mean that was literally the just 
wholesome. Like I, I didn't hear anything bad in that whatsoever. <laughs> they weren't calling for any action. Yeah, it was. We need to join arms and not fight. They even mentioned in the article how they're very much anti-war. Just bizarre. But they're pro-war, though. That's the problem. They're like, "How dare yeah. you be anti-war, you Nazi?" Don't you know that Putin deserves to be to be killed and on camera? It's almost like literally somebody with a swastika tattooed on their face shouting at you, calling you a Nazi for being anti-war. Is what? It well, feels that's like that. That's just the someone from the Azov Battalion. <laughs> and every story that comes out of Ukraine, the main source is an Azov Battalion member. Every right. single time. And I know I shared these with Monica on our show last time she was on the Mad Ones, but th there were these pictures that they were putting out. The Ukraine, uh, like uh, Ministry of Media or whatever they call themselves, um, put out, and they were like, for this International Women's Day or whatever, here are these women who are fighting for Ukraine right now. And like two, uh, like half of the pictures that they put out, they had the this. Uh, they had a Nazi symbol on their chest that they had to later like this went through several channels to get approved. And then people started calling it out. So then they deleted it. And yet the Russian Z is the evil new Nazi symbol. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So I, I know I took up all the time. Actually, I did not intend to use all of that time for that, but I, I completely misjudged how long that would take. We're still going to do at least one more story. And okay. before we get to that story, I do want to ask you again, I am a bit discombobulated today and I did explain why at the beginning of the show, but we are going to continue to post the extra exclusive content and it's going to be a lot of fun stuff. I've been coming up with some ideas that I'm going to roll out in the near future for our Rockfin, our Patreon, our locals channels. So check out our premium content, patreon.com slash propaganda report propreport.locals.com, rockfin.com slash propaganda report, and subscribe there. You look at our various offerings there. On Rockfin, we have the deep dives where we deconstruct the videos, the panel of globalists, a panel discussion saying what Biden's going to say before he actually says it. Monica will be doing those with me still once a month or so. And on Patreon, I'm going to be doing more clips. So when I do these deep dives on Rockfin, I always have – probably two hours worth of clips and we always get to maybe like we get to like 15 minutes worth of clips because they, they're very triggering so i have this, these leftover clips that i don't don't ever get to play for you guys so what i'm going to start doing with those now is i'm going to start doing those on the dnb xr check us out on those feeds and we're going to go right into the final story before we get to the xr well, let me just tell you a story that happened today when I was I happened to read some stuff on Twitter and it, it took me down a rabbit hole, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so it, the there's the the headline that I'm going to start share with you is judge orders man who defaced pride mural to write essay on pulse shooting. And so. This is a story that I've seen on Twitter and people are talking about how it was a hate crime, how he defaced this moral, this mural, and how he's having to write um, this story about this, the biggest anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ crime in history, the Pulse nightclub shooting. And I saw it and I, I read through their story, but I, I, I was looking at it and I was like, yes, a lot of gay people died at the Pulse nightclub shooting. But do you know that it wasn't an anti-LGBTQ shooting? Did you know that, Brad? No, I did not. 
Well, yeah. So, so let's talk about the, this main story for a second. So what this guy did, um, he was in Delray ba- beach in South Florida and it, uh, they had painted this rainbow mural on the, the street. And one day, uh, he, uh, revved up his engine, got those tires going and led, left some skid marks on it. That's what he's in trouble for. And so, you know, he, he just, he said he would pay the, the $2,000 fee to repair the mural. And he pled guilty to charges of criminal mischief and reckless driving. Um, but the people wanted more, they wanted his head, they wanted more. And the judge decides this is what you're going to do. You're going to have to write a 25 page essay on the Pulse gay nightclub shooting. So he gave him homework. So, I mean, he was kind of lenient, but he wants him to look into all of the victims and all of their families and all the stuff that, that went on and how this was a horrible hate crime and that he was kind of in the same boat as them. And that's what he, you know, that's why he, he did it. And there's just so many little bizarre points to this because it's so it was like you need to write, you need to write this essay so that you think about what happened so that you don't turn into that guy. I guess, but, but that was the thing. The judge even said he was surprised by how remorseful this man was because he was expecting some redneck who hated gay people and he, that he was going to have no remorse over this. And the, and the guy literally said, you know, I don't know why I did it. I've had problems in the past fitting in. I was just trying to fit in and be accepted. What does that mean? (laughs) So they, they, they don't know what's going on. They, they make him write about this horrible hate crime. But if you actually look, and I, I have the, the link to this, but what's fascinating, and this is the first stop in my rabbit hole, was the evidence shows the Pulse nightclub shooting wasn't about anti-LGBTQ hate. The guy, I think his name, I believe his name was Omar, went into the club and shot it up. But before that, he was actually setting up to go to a mall. Because his primary purpose was to inflict damage on Americans because of their actions against ISIS. He was ISIS aligned and was trying to kill as many people as he could as a reaction to ISIS bombings by the U.S. Okay, so it's literally clearly you know, he doesn't Islamic like gay terror. People. Yeah, clearly right? he doesn't like gay people. So this guy and it's said in his wife said it. Everyone said it. He. Google's he found out that the the mall he wanted to go to had too much security he was not going to be able to get away with it so he googled nightclubs and he went to the first nightclub he found which happened to be the Pulse nightclub and when he got there before he started shooting the last thing he said was to a I think it was a guard that was in the club and he asked where are all of the women because he had no idea that Pulse was a gay nightclub yeah and so it's just this fascinating thing that they're tr- this judge is making him write a 25 page paper about why what he did was a hate crime and to to look into the hate crime that happened at Pulse. And it's none of that's all narrative. Yeah, it's all assumption and it's all narrative and it's one they want to stick to. And that's why I think it's coming through this again, because there's a lot of culture war stuff happening right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of gender sure. stuff. Oklahoma just uh, the the governor just signed into law a six week abortion ban. Texas has had theirs. There's a lot of culture war stuff going on and they want these narratives to be intact. And so it made me start thinking, what other stories have I taken into my mind and accepted as hate crimes or anti-gay crimes or whatever that may not be? And the first one I thought was Matthew Shepard. Do you know the Matthew Shepard story? 
Is that the one he got dragged at the back of a truck or something like that? Is that correct? Yeah. So, so Matthew Shepard, think of this out, out of Colorado. Um, it was the, the story goes that two rednecks picked him up because they saw that he was, he was gay and might have some money. And so they dragged him, they tied him to a post, a fence post and set him on fire. And after beating him and left him to yeah. die. And for years, this has been, oh, this was anti-LGBTQ. This was anti-gay. This was a hate crime because Matthew Shepard was gay. There was a, a musical and some other things that were made but, uh, about it. One of them was called the Laramie Project. The federal hate crime bills, including gays, is based on Matthew Shepard. Um, there's all of this. And so I, yeah. I look. I'm like, let me just look into this one. Let me see if this is, this, this is like Pulse. And guess what? It is. is it? It's it is not what you think. And so there's a link to this as well. But Matthew Shepard, and I'm not trying to crap on the dead. This was a horrible tragedy, and no one should ever have this sort of thing happen to him. But it was known that Matthew Shepard was a user and a seller of methamphetamines. And at that point, in before his his passing, it was known that he had ten thousand dollars worth of meth in his house. Wow. Yeah. And so these two guys, one of which knew him and the, the narrative has always been on the fact that the, this McKinney guy did not know Matthew Shepard and that this was a targeted anti-gay crime without any knowledge of people before. Not only did he know him, he knew that he had the $10,000 worth of, of meth and they sold meth as well, him and the other guy, and they wanted to get to his house and get that meth. But also the McKinney was known to have had a relate a sexual relationship with Matthew Shepard. Wow. Right. I, so, I've never heard of that before. Right. So I'm reading, and I, I, like I said, there's a link. A man wrote a whole book about it and got so much. A gay man wrote a book about it because he wanted to write a screenplay about Matthew Shepard's life and what happened to him and did a deep investig and did investigation very deep into it and found this stuff and got so much hate for even mentioning meth. Because when this story comes out in this light, which makes it not a hate crime, but a drug crime, it, they lose their angel. You know, like it was very hard for them to hold on to George Floyd as this angelic being because of a lot of things people found out. And so it's just all that to say, this is not a new story. This is something that actually came out in 2014. But due to the story that I read about a judge making a man write a 25 page essay on a the biggest hate crime in history because he skid his tires over a rainbow street led me to realize that the biggest narratives within this that led to hate crime bills is not necessarily true yeah and if that guy actually does a deep dive what if he find comes to the similar conclusion as a guy who was going to write the book about Matthew Shepard, he could very well end up getting, you know, the judge might say, well, you got to go to prison now because you weren't supposed to come to that conclusion. Right. It's just, it's just amazing. It's, it's like every now and then I happen upon a story that leads me down a path that, and yes, that, that blew my mind. I know it's old news and I'm sorry. I know this is news of the day, but no, that, that's news of the that, day for me. I That's didn't know totally I'd propagandized. <laughs> yeah, it, it does make you think about the stuff that we believe. It makes you question assumptions that we've always had. And it really does speak to this narrative warfare stuff I was mention, mentioning earlier. And I 
read this on the show last week, but or earlier this week, it, but it does. One of the comments in the narrative warfare article that I, I've been talking about is particular facts and falsehoods are immune to correction because the power of the narrative lies in the interpretation of the facts. To judge a narrative by its truth value is to weigh it on the wrong scale in a way that accommodates new events, losses, hits, mistakes, even airstrikes into its narrative. And then it goes on to talk about how truth is irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant in narrative mm-hmm. warfare. It's putting meaning into what you're telling and into the events. So people see events and you want to get there first and you want to interpret those events and tell people what they mean first before the opposition narrator comes and does so. And it says that narrative is like poetry. It doesn't make sense to say a poem is untrue or inaccurate. Truth is irrelevant to poetry. What is relevant is that it strikes a chord in experience. The same is true of narrative. And these are people... The person who wrote this writes books that is used by in the intelligence community to construct narrative warfare. Yeah, it's not about the text. It's about the subtext. Absolutely. The one thing they do like to eliminate is they want to eliminate alternative interpretations. So there's something yeah. called functional fixedness where the first function that you're told that an item is for is like the only one you can think of because it's hard to think around that when it, you know, to a bunch of different types that uh, when that is the one that's predominantly been put in your head since the day you were born, a hammer is a hammer, but with fun, you know, if we just saw a hammer in the wild and had no idea, nobody told us what it was, we could very well use a hammer for a number of other things. And yep. its main purpose could be something else. That's the alternative way it could be used. And the same is true with the interpretation of these stories is once they put that, story deep in our unconscious to even come up with other possible explanations for it becomes difficult cognitively. Yeah. And yeah. there's a threat. If you, if you deviate from the original story yeah, at all, Definitely. you are anathema, you are heretic, you are not to be listened to, you are QAnon. You are a Nazi. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I think we can, we can wrap it up right there and we will continue in the XR with some pretty revealing clips. You guys can find your drive time news blast every week afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. And again, if you want access to that extra content that we're going to be playing every time we do a DMB XR, then go to propreport.com slash locals, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report, or go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And thank you everyone for your patience today. It's been a, a trying couple of days and I appreciate you all very much. We will talk to you guys tomorrow or we'll talk to you guys next time or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.